It's good to see all of you guys here. It's great to be with you all. It's great to hear the sound of your voices as we're worshiping God together. It's a powerful, powerful thing when, um, when men come together and they're just worshiping God and loving on God. And um, it's just awesome. It's awesome to see and awesome to hear. Um, so tonight I'm going to bring the word to you, a little something that was on my heart. Very simple message, honestly. Um, Quite frankly, I, I thought I was going one direction until I started to put the message together, and um, the Lord seemed to just have me kind of in one vein. I guess there's time to talk about some of the other things maybe in the future or whatever, but just kind of kept me in this one vein, so we're going to stay there, um, <coughs> but let's pray first. Let's get started. It's, it's always um, something that I always say before we pray, just as a, as a thing. Something, something that I always say is that, and I guess I should do this in every area of my life, and I don't, um, but I always like to say in certain areas that I'm better today than I was yesterday, but not as good as I'm going to be tomorrow. Amen. So it's so awesome. I'm, my, my heart tonight is that you would leave that, this place with that same thought and that same focus, that we would come tonight, we would listen, and regardless of where you are in your walk with God, whether you've been walking with God and everything's amazing and, I mean, you're seated right next to Jesus because you're amazing, um, or whether you're just getting started on this thing or whether we're, you're in the middle of a course correction, it doesn't really matter. I'm believing God that what we're talking about tonight is going to help you to either keep going, get started, or have that course correction in your life. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your your presence. <clears throat> Father, you are so good, and we just worship you and honor you. Thank you that you are a trustworthy God, that you are worthy, Father, of all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. And Father, you are faithful. You are faithful. That regardless of what we experience in life, Father, we always know that we've got the anchor of your word, we've got the leading, we've got the, the guiding and the directing of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, Father God. And so uh, we just thank you for that. Father, we call ourselves good ground tonight. We, we open up our spiritual ears. And Father, <clears throat> minister to the hearts of these hearers in the way that only you know they can be ministered to. So we praise you for it in Jesus' name. <clears throat> amen. amen and amen and amen. Well, guys, if, if, if you've been kind of traipsing through life, if you've just been kind of clueless, if you've just been kind of existing, if you've just not really been paying attention to anything that's going on in the world, um, we would probably just save prayer time for you at the end. But for the rest of you or for the rest of us that have been following things and we've seen the turmoil, we've seen the chaos, we've seen the weirdness that's, that's going on in our world, um, that's what we're going we're gonna to be talking about tonight. Um, times are strange. Times are unusual. Uh, we could describe this world in many, many ways. We can talk about many, many different issues. But tonight specifically, I want to talk about um, manliness. I want to talk about being a man and getting back to reclaiming our identity as men, but most specifically, men of God. Biblical men. We're talking about biblical men. Times are crazy. There has been, um, in case you haven't noticed, there seems to be an outright attack on men. And what is manliness? What is? Uh, let's just stick with manliness. Um, <laughs> um, there's an outright attack on it. I, I mean, when, when, when you and I have to come across somebody in conversation who's clearly a, a five foot eight, 240 pound man, and that person is telling you they're a six foot two Japanese female supermodel, and you and I are supposed to pretend that that's normal and that's right, and that this person has other people in their life that's encouraging them to be whoever they believe that they are, and so on and so forth, we are living in strange times. We are living in, and this is an attack on men. There's a song, um, some, of you, uh, some of you guys would know it, uh, some of you won't know it, but 
There was a show on TV years ago. It was uh, All in the Family. How many know All in the Family? So there was an intro to the, song, uh, to the show that was called um, Those Were the Days. Those Were the Days. And uh, long story short, there's a line in the song that's just been going through my head for the past probably several weeks. This one line in the song where it's, it was, well, whew, she can't sing, but there's a, the, one of the main characters there, Edith Bunker, her name is, she sings this one line. She says, um, and you knew who you were then. And then he sings, girls were girls and men were men. Amen. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Listen, guys, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I'll just get cut to the chase here, so to speak. There is a call. There is a cry that has been going forth for biblical men of God to rise up, to wake up out of your slumber and to get to business because there has been a call and a cry for this that we might rule well and that we might lead well in every area of our lives. We're talking about in our homes, we're talking about with our children, with our spouses, in our communities, uh, in our workplaces and so on and so forth, local government, state government, national level, wherever it is. God is calling forth. He's, he's, he's calling it forth. There's a call that, that has been let loose in response to the turmoil, chaos, and evil that has play, taken place in this world stage today. Our culture, our homes, our spouses, children's neighborhoods, communities, governments, and so on and so forth are looking for us to step up to the plate, to finally wake up and begin to lead and to rule well. So tonight, I'm going to share a few things about that, about <clears throat> this journey of biblical manliness, and I pray that you're inspired tonight to take the challenge serious. I pray that tonight you begin to implement some of the practical things that I'm going to share um, with you. There are people counting on us. There are people counting on us, guys. There are people, there are fathers in this room. Your children are counting on you to be the man of God that God has called you to be. You're, you have, there's men in this room with spouses. Your wife. Your wife, some of your wives have been crying out to God for their husbands to be the man of God that God has called them to be. And it's time for the, the body of Christ. I would argue with you today that where we are in life and in society is a result of men in the body of Christ not taking their place. And we've got to do, we've got to start at the beginning. It's time to reclaim our identity as biblical men of God, and it's time to commit to walking in the fullness of the things that God has for us, every single one of us. Too many of us get sucked into the trap of the enemy. How many know there's an enemy? Too many of us get sucked into the trap of the enemy where things look good or things sound good, but they're just left or right of center. And they're not really scriptural, but the enemy gets us off course. So tonight you're going to have an opportunity for a course correction. We're going to go all the way back to, we're going to talk about this, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Step number one, that's where we're going tonight. And honestly... God never took me off of step number one. I thought we were going somewhere else, but we didn't get there. So, um, and I questioned the Lord, I'll be honest with you, but um, he wasn't impressed. So anyway, <laughs> so the first step, the thing that we need to talk about tonight as it pertains to reclaiming our identity is submission to God, submission to God. Go in your Bibles, if you will. I'm going to show you something. I want, to, uh, I want you to notice one of the very first tricks. How many know that we need to be wise and we need to understand the tactics of the enemy? One of the very first tricks that the enemy uses on man, we're going to take a look at. And guess what? The very same tricks that he used back then, he's still using today. Are we in uh, Genesis? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. I think I might need glasses for this. <clears throat> and so as we go through this, one of the things that I want you to notice as we're reading these verses, I want you to notice the title that's being used here 
as, as it pertains to God, you know, uh, God speaking. It says here, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they, where they were created in the day that the Lord God, all caps, Lord God, made the heavens and earth before any plant of the field was in the earth and, any, uh, and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God, again, all caps, had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up and watered the whole face of the ground. And the, again, Lord God formed man of the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God, again, planted a garden eastward in Eden. He put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground. There it is again. Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant for, uh, to the sight for for, uh, and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out to the uh, Eden, to the garden. From there it parted. We're going to read down into verse 17. We can actually skip that and jump down into um, verse 15. And it says, Then the Lord God, again, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day of it you shall um, surely die. <clears throat> Wherever you see that title, Lord God, in the all caps that way, that is the word Yahweh. The word Yahweh is God's personal name. It means master, absolute, supreme ruler, the one true God. It is God's true, revealed, personal name. This is the title that God is using in his relationship with Adam at this point. It emphasizes God's relational side. Why? Why? Because God is a personal God. God is a relational God. He is very much interested in living in relationship with you and I on a regular, ongoing, and continual basis in our daily lives. The enemy, on the other hand... The enemy, on the other hand, his desire is to sever our relationship with God, to drive a wedge between our relationship with our Heavenly Father to any degree that he possibly can, whether it's keeping you from getting saved in the first place or whether it's stopping you from walking into one simple promise in the Word of God that's going to help you to break free in a certain area of your life, his desire is always to try to drive that wedge into your relationship with the Heavenly Father. So watch this. If you go to, uh, if we continue, actually go over to, to chapter 3. Was someone whistling at me? I know, because you guys saw me in that Southside Johnny shirt, so. <laughs> so in verse 3, we'll start in verse C. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Whoops. You just uh, lost me there. Let me, can we, yeah, there. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, what did he say? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Notice anything different there. What he did was he referred to him as God, not Lord God. He stripped off the title of master, supreme ruler, and refers to him only as God, which is still an honorable title, but it means Elohim, again, an honorary title, but it emphasizes God more as creator. It emphasizes God as powerful but distant. Look at the sea. Look at that, that small, subtle twist. That's all it took for her because she ate the bait. Because if you go on, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden you shall not eat, um, lest you should die. Then the serpent said, surely you will not die. For God knows that the day, um, da, 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 that you, God know, knowing good and evil, go ahead, 
So when the woman ate from the, from the, from the tree, she saw good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a desirable to make one wise. She referred to him in, in that passage, she referred to him as God. She didn't come back and say, Lord God. So what happened there? Again, the devil was able to get her to, to relinquish that title, that personal relationship side of God. From the very beginning, Satan has desired to drive a wedge in the relationship with God and man, and he continues to do this today. Nothing new in his playbook, guys. When, when, when the enemy has done this, he endeavored to introduce and drive that wedge into God's rulership over man, and by using a simple twist of his name, calling into question their relationship because he understands this. He understands that when, when, he has, when we have our relationship with God severed or there's a wedge driven at any level in our relationship, God, that puts you and I in the position of becoming self-reliant or self-governing. Self-reliant or self-governing. When he gets you and I to not trust God, we rely on ourselves and self-govern Things, he makes things look good. He makes things look great in our life. When you eliminate God's divine authority and accountability, like was done here in their lives when he did this, when you eliminate God's divine authority and accountability in your life because you were trading it in for something that sounds good or looks good, like religion, like Cultural think, you know, the speak of the day, the phrases of the day, the things that people are saying and, and sharing amongst one another. When we allow those things to, to, uh, to separate us from God, you are in danger. The enemy has you in his crosshairs. You, you know, honestly, the motive of the enemy here, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but listen to this because I'm going to, I'm every, as, as I'm going here, I'm dropping little nuggets. One of the things here that we should understand and we need to understand, and we'll look very quickly at in a little while, but one of the things that we need to understand is that our authority over the enemy is directly related to our submission to the Father. So he knows that if he can drive a wedge in our personal relationship with God on any level, it limits our ability to exercise authority over him. <clears throat> you all know the story, the rest of the story. I'm not going to go through that just for the sake of time. What happened there, you know that Eve ate the fruit first and but the interesting thing is, and this is a little bit of a side note, but the interesting is, um, who did God go after? God went after Adam. God went after Adam. Why? Because, listen, guys, whether you like it or not, <laughs> whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you're good at it, whether you're bad at it, whether you've been told you're good at it or bad at it, regardless of the fact of whatever you think about it, you don't even have to believe it. But the reality of things is this. By virtue of the fact that you were born a man, God has created you a leader. Go back to Genesis. Genesis you don't have to go there. Genesis chapter 1. It all started with Adam. The tasks, Genesis 2, the tasks that were assigned to Adam in the garden. They were all tasks of leaders. Then Eve comes along. She joins him to assist him in the garden and helped him to uh, fulfill everything that he was supposed to do in the garden. God's de God desired for Adam to lead his wife and to guard her against sin, and he did not. He did not. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go back to where we were. Um, We'll go back to the statement. When you eliminate God's divine authority and accountability in life because you are trading it for something that sounds good, looks good, feels good, smells good, like religion, cultural think, common thoughts of the day, just know this, you are in danger. The enemy has you in his crosshairs. 
He's trying to get you to become self-reliant. He's trying to get you to become self-governing in your life. Our flesh is tirelessly and relentlessly seeking anything and everything that can feed its envious desire to be its own God. And it's so subtle. We're talking about being biblical men of God. And we're talking about the tactics of the enemy that are going to help us, if we understand them, help us so that we don't fall for the tricks of the enemy and we continue to, to live our lives submitted to the promises of God, to the plan of God, to the purpose of God in every area of our life so that the enemy can't drive a wedge in between our relationship with God and we are no longer able to see the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives or exercise the fullness of our authority over the enemy. We're talking about, it's called uh, the idol of autonomy or something like that. Um, actually, let me read this. Autonomy meaning self-governing or independent, the independent spirit. Someone said this, idol of autonomy, and this really sums up exactly what we're saying here. Idol of autonomy where we idolize doing things our way and apart from God, though it feels good for a season, ends up being a joy joyless life. God offers freedom in the context of boundaries. Eve did what looked good in her eyes. The tree looked good and she believed the, eye of the, the lie of the enemy. In today's culture, listen to this, in today's culture, we want the kingdom of God without submitting to the king. We want peace, justice, human rights, which are thoroughly Christian ideals, yet we want to defend the reign of self and individualism. Now, we won't say that out loud. We want to define good however we want are we seeking God or popular opinion? The temptation is to separate yourself from God and redefine good and evil based on what you want and desire. Defining the good life according to your own way, Jesus gave us a new map to live by. It's important to return to the foundations of our biblical faith. I don't know who said that, who, where I got that from, where it was written from. Otherwise, I would give them credit. I did not write that. But it literally summed up exactly what, what I'm talking about here. So my question to you, my question to you is, are you making your decisions? Where are your decisions coming from in life? Are you making decisions and governing your lives, running your household and performing on your jobs? Are you thinking, acting, and doing based on thoughts and deeds and trends and beliefs that sound really good? I'm laughing because I'm thinking uh, it's so easy. It is so easy to get caught up in this and to, and to, and to, and to fall for it. I'm laughing because as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about, uh, well, this person. And um, we're talking, and this, this person was talking about God. And they were talking, and what they were saying, they were talking about, well, you know, God is so good. And I'm like, yes. And, and God is... I mean, look at what he did with Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, you know. And, and, you know, Jesus went to the cross for us and he's talking all this stuff. And I'm like, yes, 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 you know, and whatever. And we're going to go to heaven and glory to God. You know, we're going to heaven, you know, yes. And I'm getting excited listening. I'm, I'm agreeing. And then, and, and while we're here, he said, while we're here, he said, eat, drink. And the Bible says to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm like, yeah, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why the Shakespeare or somebody said that? I don't know. That's like English lit or something. I don't know. My son probably knows where that came from. <laughs> I was like, but you see how quick and easy it is. And I'm thinking to myself, I almost got pulled right into that. But so are we making our decisions? Or is, is what we're, the way we're governing our lives, are we thinking, acting, and doing based on thoughts and beliefs and trends that seem to be good or sound good, like religious thoughts? Are they coming from Facebook, Twitter, Getter, Gab, Frank Quotes, all those other things? Or, or are we allowing what we think, what we say, and what we do to be based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our lives? Are we submitting to God and are we submitting to the Spirit of God on the inside of us? Of course, you realize and you understand that the Spirit of God is not going to lead you apart from the Word of God. 
Are we submitting to God and his word? Are we basing our decisions, what we think, what we say, and what we do on the word of God in every area of our lives? We want to be biblical men. Step one is submission to God. How do you submit to God? Through his word and by the spirit. James chapter 4. Talking about submission to God. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore he said, God, watch this, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Jump down to verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's a classic scripture for what we were just talking about when I mentioned earlier. That's, that is submission and authority right there. So, what does it say? It's right in front of us. Verse 7. Submit to God, submission. Resist the devil, authority over the enemy. Notice, submit to God first, resist the enemy. When we're, that's why I said earlier, we are, our, our ability to exercise authority over the enemy is directly tied to and related to our submission to the Father. <clears throat> so what is, what is submission? What does it mean? I'm going to give you, I'm not going to go through the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm going to give you all of the words just kind of combined. Um, submission means to rank under. It's a military term. To rank under, to depress. Not, that doesn't mean go make somebody sad. It means to, to put under, put yourself under. It means to bend the knee. It means to prostrate. I got to say that right because everybody over 50 will get nervous. <laughs> Surrender, yield, and to take the lower place. I'll give it to you again because it's good. It means to rank under, depress, bend the knee, prostrate, surrender, yield, and take the lower place. From this, guys, we get the understanding. That submission to God and his word is a choice that you and I have to make. It's a choice for you and I to rank ourselves under him and under his word, to take the lower place and sur surrender ourselves to his ways and to his will. It's our responsibility to yield to him in every area of our lives. Okay, many of us want him as Savior. As Lord, maybe not so much. You just tuck your toes in under the chair. Two, two characteristics that we need to understand when it comes to submission. Two characteristics. Number one. Number one, submission is not easy because submission does not involve agreement. Submission is not easy because it does not involve agreement. If you agreed, you wouldn't have to submit and yield and rank yourself under and so on and so forth. It's not easy. I'm already partly in trouble, so I'll just go a little bit further. <laughs> if you're here and you're a Christian, Bible-believing, Bible-toting, Bible-thumping, get your Sunday shoes on, getting ready to dance in the Spirit, all of that good stuff. If you are that guy, <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being fresh. Um, <laughs> and you're living your life and the word of God and the spirit of God are not challenging you, you're doing something wrong. 
If you are not being challenged by the word of God, by the things that God has presented in his word and by the direction of the spirit of God in your life, you're doing something wrong. Why? Because submission is not easy. If you're always accommodating the flesh and your emotions and so on and so forth, heck, that's easy. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? How many remember that? You could read it later if you don't remember it all the way. Luke chapter 22, somewhere around there, 35, verse 35. Um, classic, classic demonstration of what we're talking here. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's wrestling with the will of the Father for his life. How do you know? Well, because he, first of all, you can hear and see the anguish that, that's going on in the Garden of Eden, or the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, wrong garden. Not to mention the words that he speaks. Jesus says, um, hey, Father, you know, you're great. You're amazing. You're mighty. You can do all things. So if there's another way that we can accomplish this, uh, we should probably talk about that now. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Now, in context, in context, Jesus is in a place that's literally known as the olive press. So, I mean, even setting up the, the context of what's happening in that moment you're talking about a place with a large stone that crushes olives. Jesus was being crushed in that moment. But what did he do? He submitted to the Father, and because he did, listen to me. Here's another little nugget. Because, fire, fire, fire. Because he did, I think that happened before when the nugget was coming, right? <laughs> Um, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just, I'm playing. It doesn't bother me. Um, <laughs> so he's in the garden of Gethsemane. We can call that the place of decision. And because Jesus yielded his will to the father's will, it was that act. It was because he did that. He was able to move on to Golgotha or the place of the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. Gethsemane, the place of decision, and when he yielded to God, when he did it God's way, it opened up the pathway for him to move on to Golgotha, the place of the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. Submission is not easy because it doesn't involve agreement. I remember the first time I heard about tithing. I was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I sat there. I mean, he had sweat that were like drops of blood. I think I had tears that were like drops of blood. I'm like, 10%? What? Uh, Lord, you can do all things because you're amazing. And so if we can renegotiate this thing, let's do that now. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I've been a tither ever since that day. And how many know? You're blessed in so many areas of your life, not just in the area of finances. You're blessed in every area of your life when you are a faithful and consistent tither. It wasn't easy, though. It's a challenge to the flesh. If we're going to be biblical men of God, then we're going to have to have some grit and allow the word of God and the spirit of God to challenge us, cause us to, to grow. Amen. I want to share one other story because it kind of illustrates what I was talking about before Gethsemane to Golgotha. This was a very personal moment for me. This isn't the, f the last time anything like this is, has ever happened. Um, but it's just, you know, how many know the school of the Spirit is just, it just stays with you. You know, when the Holy Ghost takes you to a place and you learn some things and you learn it by experience as he's walking you through something, how many know you just never forget those lessons? And so, um, so I share that one or this one that I'm about to share. Um, this, I was first year Bible school um, out at Rama, and this was the month of February. 
I know, and I'll tell you why. I know it was February in a minute. This was the month of February. And we used to have, first-year students, we used to have this thing called exaltation. It was a prayer time. I believe it was on a Tuesday. And Pastor, what was it, 1,000 students? I don't even know at that time. 1,500, say 1,500 students or so at that time. And the first year and the second year students would all come together into the church sanctuary. We'd have to walk from, the, from our classroom buildings over into the church sanctuary. And it was just a time of prayer. It was a time for you. It was like the original social distancing, you know, because nobody could get near each other. You would just walk around and pray, and everybody gave you their space and stuff. And just a time of prayer. And so I was, this particular day, I went up in the balcony, and I was leaning against the balcony. And as I'm leaning there and I'm praying, all of a sudden I open my eyes. And you know when you pinch your phone and you, like, zoom in? So I'm, on the, I'm standing on the stage or on the balcony thing there and leaning on the thing, and, and there's zoop right to this guy Charlie's face. Didn't really know him well. I knew, him enough, I knew enough to know his name. And so whoop, right to Charlie's face. And I hear the Lord say, Charlie needs $50. Well, that can't be right, so. <laughs> so I got my hands on the thing, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and then all of a sudden, I open my eyes again, whoop, right to Charlie again, and I hear the Lord say, Charlie needs 50 bucks. I want you to give Charlie $50. So now here's how I knew it couldn't be God, because God knows, and I'm telling him this. I had to remind him, of course. I said, God, um, you know that I only have $25 in the blessing account because my wife and I used to put a, a, we used to have a little blessing account and we would keep like $25 in it in case the Lord moved on us to bless somebody because, you know, we were going to limit God to $25. And so, so he shows, he tells me, give Charlie $50. And I'm like, yeah, that's not right because you know I only got 25 and you know right now I'm, I'm paycheck to paycheck and, you know, Bible school student and house at, New Jersey and blah, 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 whatever. 25 bucks, right? That's what you want, Lord? So, silence from the heavens. I said, okay. All right, God. I'm going to pray now, and you're going to think that I'm going to open my eyes here, but I'm not doing it. I'm opening them up over here, or maybe I'm going to trick you, God. <laughs> and so, whoop, right, right to Charlie again. I want you to give Charlie $50. Okay, fine. So I make the decision. Now I'm in the place of, where am I at? I'm in Gethsemane. I'm in the place of decision. I, it's my chance here to submit to the will of the Father. And so I am said, all right, I'll do it. I had to wait till the next pay period, which is, I don't know, about a week later or something like that. And so, now watch this, because God is amazing. I go to work. I was off that day, but I went to go pick up my check because I made the decision that I'm going to bless Charlie with $50. And so my wife was driving. I'm in the passenger side. We roll around the back of the place that I worked at, ran, ran into the payroll window, got my check. As I'm running out with the check, I'm opening up the check. I plop into the car, the, the passenger seat. She starts to pull away. Stop. What? There's an extra $25 in the check. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. There's an extra $25 in my check. And then she's, you know, praise the Lord. And I said, no, praise the Lord. I said, I'm not failing this test. I'm not stealing from the company. I know that that $25 does not belong to me. Roll it in reverse. She backs it up. I run inside, and I tell the girl at the payroll window, could you check this because it's $25 too much? And unless I got a raise, but... Um, and she said, no. She handed it back to me. She said, I just looked on the computer. It's right. She said, you probably forgot all about it. But back in September, you filled out a drawing, an employee drawing, and one of the prizes was $25. Now, I had no idea that I won the $25. God didn't care. He just wanted me to, to, to submit. He wanted me to follow his leading. So what happens? I give Charlie the $50, and here's how I know it was February, because I handed the money to him. I did the Pentecostal handshake. I just rolled it up, and I just went like this and looked him in the eyes. I said, bless you, brother. And I, and I walked away, and he's like, thank you, whatever. 
So the next period in classes, he's just like, yo, yo. He goes, I just got to tell you. He goes, you have no idea. He said, I was $50 short on my rent this month. He said, all week I've been looking for it in my tips and it hasn't been coming. I said, well, that's because it was supposed to come from me and I just got it, so there you go. So, um, so he was excited. He goes, I told the woman, I'm a Rhema student. I'm studying for Bible school. I am a man of my word, and I will have your 50 bucks by the end of this week. And sure enough, and when I gave him the thing, I had said to him, you know, um, this is how I know it was February, because I said to him, it was right, either right before Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day. And I said to him, I'm not asking you to be my date or my Valentine, but just have that, you know. And then, so that's how I remember that that's when it was. So now... There it was, Gethsemane. I got to that place of decision. I followed God's plan in that moment. Now watch this. Roll it up about, I don't know, a month and a half later, maybe two months. It's my wife's birthday. It's the night before my wife's birthday. Long story short, she does the bills, the checkbook. We have $3 and either 27 or 67 cents in the checkbook. Whoo! So I was a little upset because I hadn't gotten anything for her birthday yet. And I'm not going to make a card and give her a $3 gift certificate for somewhere. So (laughs) that wouldn't go well. And so um, I was upset about it. Whatever. Went to bed. I remember the next morning leaving. God is so funny. I remember leaving. And I literally, I could see this as I'm explaining it. I opened up the door to to the apartment that I was in. And as I was walking across the threshold there, I said, she's your daughter. You take care of her and I went to school. It's exaltation day. Exaltation is over, the prayer day. I'm walking, there's a sea of students, 1,500 students or whatever, walking across this parking lot. There's just people, and I'm walking, and I hear my name, somebody calling my name. So I stop, I look, I don't see anybody, keep going. Hear it again, stop, I look, and I see some guy kind of zigzagging through the, through the traffic, and he says, you're Joe, right? And I said, yeah. I said, uh, you're Andrew. He goes, yeah, we met like back in September. We had a cup of coffee. I said, yeah, I remember. So he said, I wish it was more, but the Lord told me to give you this. And he handed me a check for $100. Amen. And after I got done spitting, snot, and crying and, and all that other stuff and rejoicing with him, the Lord said to me, if you hadn't done the 50, I couldn't have the 100. What are we talking about? We're talking about going from Gethsemane to Golgotha, submitting ourselves to the word of God and to the spirit of God, allowing them to direct, or or the word and the spirit to direct your life, and then having the grit to submit, because it's not easy. But you'll be on the road to promises fulfilled in your life. Listen, listen, I, I can guarantee you that some of you in this room have gone through cycles in your life where you just keep on coming back to the same place and you can't figure it out. I'd submit to you that maybe this is it. Maybe every time you keep coming into the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of decision, the place that God wants you to change something or do something a little different or whatever it is, maybe you're at that place that God's calling you to do something and you don't like it because you're, it's not easy. And so you rationalize a little wiggle room into the plan. And for a while, maybe it works a little bit because you can get a little, little ways on your own. But then you end up whoop, right back in the garden. And you continue the cycle. And you continue the cycle. And tonight I want you to understand it's not until you do it God's way, until you yield yourself, you rank yourself under, you submit to God that you're going to move on to that place of fulfillment in your life. Amen? Amen. So far, what we've said, I'm going to skip some stuff here. So far, what we said, because it's getting late. Men of God, number one, men of God, it's time to step up. Our families, our communities, our church, our government, our workplaces, government, whatever, they all need us. There's people that are depending on us. The world is crying out for biblical men of God. Number two, if you were going to be the man of God that God has called you to be, we need to start from the beginning And we said, and it all begins with submission to God through his word, through his spirit. Number three, we said submission is not easy because it doesn't involve agreement. The last thing that we're going to mention here, number four, is that submission requires humility. Submission requires humility. How do we submit to God's plan and purpose in our lives? By humility. Go to Philippians 2, if you could pull that up. 
That's in the Bible. We're going we're gonna to go through this really quickly, and I'm going to wrap up. I'll give you five practical points, real simple, straightforward stuff, like, you know, um, to help you on your journey and being manly and things like, you're going to love them. It's stuff like get your wives back in the kitchen and, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Please, please, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me roll that back. Um, let me roll that back. Don't tell sisterhood that I said that. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God highly exalted him, giving him the name above every name, that the knee about, uh, the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things of the earth, and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. Jesus left his place of glory. The Bible actually says, if you look at the translation, uh, the Greek, it, that it means that he emptied himself of, of, of his essentially of his power and his glory and his, his deity, if you will, although he was still God. But it says that, and some of the other words there tell us that he actually allowed himself to just be reformed into a man so that he could do this. <clears throat> he became obedient, laid aside his glory, walking in complete obedience to the Father, and as, as a result, God exalted him. God doesn't have a problem with us being exalted, but he's got a big problem with us exalting ourselves. Remember that Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. He operated on the face of this earth as 100% man. How do you know? Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So if he was operating as God, why would God need to be anointed? And if God did need to be anointed, who would anoint God? So you know that, that, was, that that's what Jesus did. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man when he walked on the face of this earth, anointed by the Spirit of God. Humility is required for, for submission. Humility and submission go together just as pride and rebellion go together. When you and I live our lives refusing to submit to God or allowing that wedge... That is pride and rebellion. When we consciously make that decision that we are not going to do it God's way, that is pride and rebellion. Let's just call it what it is. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What's the grace for? So that we're strengthened like Jesus in the garden. We're strengthened to be able to continue, right, to fulfill God's plan. The word humble means this, to reduce oneself, important, make small, minimize oneself, willing to stoop to any measure that is needed. That doesn't mean that we're trash or that we're weak worms of the dust or pieces of garbage. It, well, it means is in light of who our Lord God is. If we're going to rise up as biblical men of God, we need to be willing to have some grit and to stoop to any measure that is needed by our Father. Stoop to any measure that is needed by our Father, according to the word. Rick Renner made this statement. You're never too small. I love this. You're never too small for God, but you certainly can be too big. We need to have modest views of ourselves. Too many of us want to do the big things for the Lord, but we are unwilling to be faithful in the little things. I, I'm going to lead, read one last scripture. Isaiah 66 says that the, the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth and the footstool, where is, uh, is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things have mine handmade, and all these things have, have been, says the Lord. But here's the part I want to emphasize. But to this man will I look, to him that is 
poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Who is God pleased with? Someone who's contrite in spirit. We're talking about, it's talking about humility is what it means. This is the one whom God dwells with. He's not interested in temples. He's not interested in religion. He's not interested in man's ways, rituals, and so on and so forth. A, a humble heart that desires him and loves his word. And that's nothing new. Jesus said this, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Listen, guys, our families, our churches, our communities, you know, you heard me say that several times, are crying out for men of God to rise up and come forth. And I'm looking at a room full of men. This is a simple, straightforward message that I believe has the potential if you'll take this challenge, if you'll take this on and you'll commit to, to begin implementing some of the things that we're talking about here and understanding what's happening in your life, I'm telling you right now, you will chase the face, change the face of your relationship with your children, your spouse, on your jobs. The favor of God will be there for you, the church, our community, our neighborhoods, every area, every place where we set our feet. Why? Because men of God, biblical men of God, are men of influence. Practical steps, practical steps. I'm going to just rifle them off and then we're done. Number one, practical steps for submitting to God. Start where you are at. Start where you're at. Every single one of us, you're lying if, if, there's, if you're in here and you're just like, I don't know, God's not talking to me about anything. So you're either got deaf ears or, or you're Jesus and you're just amazing and perfect Every single one of us, God's got to be dealing with you somewhere in some area of your life, and you know it. So start where you are at, number one. Um, in a, Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Number two, repent when you screw up. Repent when you screw up. You know God knows you're going to screw up. We all screw up. God knows it. That's why he put 1 John 1, 9 in there, said that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, number three, spend time in the word. There's so many apps and devotions and study programs and online stuff. There's so many ways these days that you can spend time in the word. Spend time in the word because it is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this, that is you and I become matured through the word of God. Number four, get a life. A prayer life. A prayer life, that is. Spend some time. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you, what are we working on today? What is it that you have for me? Where do I need correcting? Where do I need fixing? Where does my, my wife need, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> keep it about yourself. Uh, number five, and this is really important, guys. Number five, and then we're done. Number five is this. Allow yourselves to be discipled and to disciple others. Amen. It's a big part of this. Allow yourself to be discipled and to disciple others. Second Timothy 2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Somebody once said that every believer needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. We all need someone to build into our lives and mentor us. We all need someone who can labor and work alongside of us. And we all need someone to whom we can pass on the wisdom and knowledge that God has given us. Amen. Amen. Biblical men of God, step one, submission to the Father. Amen.